If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, if not, the words are going to come up on the screens or you can use version, uh, whatever you use to get God's Word. And so uh, we've been in some standalone messages, and and I I just want to talk to you this morning again out of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Even in in this time, it just seems like God's put a kind of a theme together. Uh, Some of these have come out of my quiet time or my life journaling moments and and, um, and then they just kind of turned into to sermons. And so today I, I just want to talk to you about this subject, just a place of confidence. I'm just trying to find a place of confidence in life. It, you know, when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, and the Apostle Paul wrote the book of First and Second Thessalonians, but when you look at his life, you realize that, that Paul came to this place to where he found confidence in life. Uh, his confidence wasn't in people. It wasn't in situations. It wasn't in circumstances. It wasn't in anything else other than, other than God. And, and so it's important to have confidence in life, right? Uh, especially in the times and the seasons that we live, especially in this political season that we live in, it seems like there's more and more people telling you where to put your confidence, right? Uh, that you need to trust me or you need to trust my platform or you need to trust these things. And you know what? I don't know if you're like me, but I'm getting a little tired in this season of people telling me where to place my trust and where to place my hope. Now, for believers, the Scripture tells us this. In Psalm 146, the Scripture says that we are to place our trust, we're to place our hope in, in, in the Lord. And so when you look at, at this issue, whatever you place your hope in, whatever you place your trust in will determine the type of confidence or will determine if you have confidence in, 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 in life. And so for us as believers, and we've worshiped to that this morning, just about this issue of that God is sovereign and we put our hopes and our hopes and our dreams are in his hands and we trust him regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations that we go through in life, that we, we trust him. Now listen, if you're like me, there have been times in my life that I've placed my trust in some people, I've placed my hopes or trust into some situations or some circumstances, and so if you're like me, every time I've found myself disappointed, right? Or I've found myself let down. And Scripture tells us this, that the only place for us as believers to place our hope, to have confidence is in Christ and Christ alone, it's in God. Fact is, Paul was writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he wrote these words in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He wrote these words, and it says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So just so we're tracking this morning in this and we understand this, that God does not give us a spirit of fear. But he gives us a spirit of power and love and self-control. You know, if you're, if you're ruled by fear, and listen, that doesn't come by, from God. In fact, is Satan can use that in your life. Satan can use that in your life to, to discourage you or to harm you. But I'm telling you, fear does not come from God. See, here's what, here's what fear will do. Fear will give you a bad report about the future. So you'll, so you'll give up. So you'll make a bad decision. Let me just tell you. All bad decisions at the root, all bad decisions are based upon fear. Fear is dangerous in your life, and fear is dangerous in my life. Fear will take us into the future and show us what might happen or what we think will happen. And if you're not careful, fear in your life, when fear rules your life, it will cause you to make bad decisions. It will cause you to give up. And so this morning, I just want to spend the moments that I have just to talk to you really about the gospel just talk to you about this issue of confidence and where our confidence is in believers as as we walk through the times and the in the seasons that, that we're in 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 these days in our country and not only in our country but 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 the world 
So three things I want to give you this morning that, that if, you, if you want to have confidence, and if you want to have confidence that cannot be shaken, if you want to have confidence on a firm foundation, if you want to have confidence regardless of the situation, circumstances that you walk through, then there's three things that have to happen in your life. There's three things that you and I need in our life. And the first one is this. You have to come to the place where you know God. In other words, you have to come to the place where you have you know God. In other words, this is more than than, than this is this is more than just knowing about God. This is more than just knowing some facts about God. But this is when when I say know God, it means to know Him intimately, to where you come into a relationship with Him and you know Him intimately. Paul wrote this in in First Thessalonians chapter two verse one. He says, "For for you yourselves know, brothers." that our coming to you was not in vain. And it's so interesting the reason he made this statement. We'll talk about that. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness. In other words, our confidence wasn't in people. Our confidence wasn't in situations. He said, but we had boldness in our, in our God to declare to you, and it's so important, to declare, to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. It is interesting about conflict. It's interesting about difficult circumstances in life. Listen, one thing conflict or difficult circumstance will do for you and do for me in my life, in your life, is this. It will help you to understand where you're placing your hope. It will help you to understand where you're placing your trust. See, Paul is referencing Philippi. And Paul was in Philippi, and, and he began preaching the gospel, and, and, and there were many converts. And so this, 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 this church was being birthed there. But the leaders of the, of the city got upset, and so Paul was like arrested, and he was, he was beaten, and he was persecuted, and he was thrown in jail as a result of that. And then after a period of time, he was taken out of jail. He was basically kicked out of Philippi and said, never come back, and the leaders told him that, and we never want you to speak the name of Jesus ever again. And so as a result of that, Paul felt God was leading him to Thessalonica. And that's where we pick up the story in, in 1 Thessalonians. See, Acts chapter 17 tells us, it explains to us what happened in Thessalonica. When he went there, he started doing the same things. Many converts, but at Thessalonica, many prominent men and women began accepting Christ. And all of a sudden, there was like this movement of God in Philippi. And again, the leaders got upset because there were some prominent women and there were some prominent men that were accepting Christ. And so they, they started rumors and they started criticizing him and they started a, a, a riot. And Paul begins talking about this issue. And he says, he says he was preaching the, he was preaching the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? If someone was to ask you, because I'm, I'm telling you this is just so important for us to understand this morning, what is the gospel? What does it mean? And, and I know we refer to it as good news, but deeper than that, what, what's the gospel? What does it mean to you and what, it means to, what does it mean to me? Paul defines out the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. And this is, just, this is the pure gospel that, that Paul helps us to understand. And he says this, verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ, so here we go, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then that He appeared to Cephas. So, so He came, He lived a perfect life, He bled, He died on the cross, He was buried, and He was resurrected. 
And so, and, and he says, and then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared also to me. This is Paul writing. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. This is before Paul accepted Christ. So now he's talking about pre-Christian days. He's like, you're not going to believe what I did. I mean, I was the one trying to start, stop the work of God. I was the one that was persecuting. I was the one that was martyring Christians. And then he goes on. But by the grace of God, aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Aren't you thankful for the grace of God in your life that your life, your decisions didn't disqualify you before you met, did not disqualify you? And he goes, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so we believed. So the gospel is simply this. The gospel is Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross on your behalf and on my behalf. He bore our sins, and he went to the cross, and he was crucified. He bled, and he died for us, and he was placed in a, in a tomb. And then on the third day, the Scripture says, he rose again, and he was resurrected. And so what, what Paul says, we have to accept that gospel. That's why I use the term believe. Believe means to intimately know Him. It means to put your trust in. It means to put your faith in to where you and I come to the place that we, we repent of our sins and we believe in Him and we accept Him. That's why it's so important what we do in our services when we gather together that we gather together, what the church says, that we gather together as followers of Christ. That's a church. That's a local church. That's a community. And we, we point each other's eyes to Him. We remind each other of the gospel. We remind each other to trust Him. I mean, the goal of this gathering is Him. The goal of this gathering is the gospel. And we're here to point one another back to the gospel and to point you to the one, the only one in human history that has the answers in His name is Jesus Christ. And we have this gospel of confidence. This gospel that's like good news. And this gospel should give you and it should give I just great confidence that Jesus Christ came. And He came for us. And He took on our sins and He went to the cross. And He was crucified and He was buried and He rose again on the third day. And because of that, we can accept Him. We can believe in Him. We can know Him. We can have a relationship with Him. And because of that, we can have confidence regardless of what we walk through in life, regardless what happens in life, we can have this confidence in Him. Listen, Jesus is the one that just says, you come to me, you who are weary, you who are tired, you who are heavy laden, you come to me and I will give you rest and I will give you peace. It's, it's the gospel of, of invitation. It's the gospel of restoration. It's the gospel of healing because that's who Jesus Christ is and our message, our gospel message is that Jesus Christ and Him crucified and He raised again on the third day and that's the hope of humanity. Do you realize Paul says over and over in 1 Thessalonians 
that we are messengers of this gospel. Do you realize you're messengers of this gospel? Do you realize you, as a believer, you have been entrusted with this gospel, that we're ambassadors of Christ, we're, we're representatives of Him, we're, in, we're, we're messengers of this gospel, and our story is, I was once lost, I was without hope, I, I, I was once lost, and, and, and He pursued me, and I was found, and I accepted Him. And my life has been transformed. You wouldn't believe, like Paul said, you wouldn't believe what I did before I became a Christian. You wouldn't believe the decisions I made. You wouldn't believe some of the things that happened to me. You wouldn't believe the family that I was raised in. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ found me. And I accepted Him. And because of that, my life has been totally and completely transformed. I mean, how about this? Let's tell that story. Because we are messengers of this gospel. True confidence comes from Christ. True confidence in life comes from God. That's why the psalmist, all the way through the psalms, especially Psalm 146, just put your trust in Him. Put your hope in Him. See, when you look at Paul, you realize that God was a source of his confidence. It wasn't people. It wasn't circumstances. It wasn't the government. It wasn't anything that he walked through. God was the source of his confidence. I mean, it... And there was a time when Paul was like a people pleaser. But Paul understood some things. You see this in his life where this maturity that happened, where Paul was once a, a people pleaser, where his confidence came when people approved of him. And he moves in his Christian life to where he understood confidence only comes from him. He was being criticized in, in Thessalonica by some people that were saying that he came and it was in vain and he knew it wasn't in vain because his confidence came from Christ. The fact is he, he uses the phrase in the midst of much conflict. That phrase is, a, is an athletic term. It's, it's a picture of an athlete that continues to, to press on and, and, remind, or, and remembers the goal and continues to press on and doesn't sway in the midst of great opposition in his or her life. And Paul had this. If you and I, if we're going to have confidence, especially in the times in which we live, we have to know God. We have to know God, not just facts about God, but we have to have a relationship with God. The second thing is this, and listen, I'm telling you, point two and point three is where most Christians have struggled this weekend. Uh, they, they all track with me about, yes, we need to know Him, and yes, we need to have a relationship with Him. And then when I get into point two and point three, that's when some Christians begin to, to like waver and say, you know, I, I just don't know. The second thing is this, if you're going to have confidence in life, the second thing is this, you have to know God approves of you. You have to know Him, you have to have a relationship with Him, and then you have to come to the place to where you understand that, you know what, in Christ, in Christ I'm totally and completely forgiven. In Christ I am deeply loved. In Christ I am perfect and complete. In Christ I am lacking nothing let me ask you a question. Don't, don't raise hands. Don't answer this out loud. Do you know this morning, as a believer, do you know that God approves of you? It's so critical. It's so critical for you and for, and for me to come to the place to where you know He approves of you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, he goes on and he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been, watch this, approved by God, do you know that you have been approved by God? 
that you know Him and you've been approved by Him to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man because my trust doesn't come in people. My trust doesn't come in popularity polls and opinion polls. My trust doesn't come in who approves of me and who doesn't approve of me. And so he goes on and he says, and so not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share. In other words, because we have this relationship, because we're friends, because I care for you, so important, because I care for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, because guess what? We're messengers of that gospel. Guess what? We've been entrusted with it. Guess what? We're carriers of that gospel, the gospel of God, but also ourselves. In other words, we're invested with each other. We have this relationship with each other because you have become very dear to us. Listen, when you, when you know God approves of you, it is a game changer. When I came to that place in my Christian life, because of some things that I'd done before I'd met Christ. And when I came to that place to where I realized and I got it and I understand that God approves of me, I'm telling you, it is transformational. I'm telling you, it changes everything in your life. See, you see this in Paul's life. There are people that, that were critics of Paul, and there are people that were complaining and said, Paul, you came in vain. And they were, they were, they were trying to discourage him. And Paul didn't get angry. He didn't call them names. Paul just stated facts because he, he knew, I'm probably not going to get your approval anyway. I'm, I'm just going to state the facts. First Thessalonians 2.9 says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any, any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Do you realize this gospel that Paul keeps talking about is very important? Paul says, in other words, everything's about the gospel. Everything's about him. And he just spoke to the truth. And Paul said, I lived a transparent life in front of you. I did life with you. I, I preached truth. I relied on, on the Holy Spirit. And I watched lives being changed. In other words, that he says, I, I just preached truth. And, and I wasn't flashy. And, listen, can I, and I didn't use gimmicks. Can I just tell you, God didn't call any of us to be flashy and use gimmicks. Just faithful. Just faithful. Just the preaching and the teaching of the gospel and just worshiping Him. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul understood that this gospel is not ours. We don't change this gospel. It has been entrusted to us. And it's been entrusted to us and it's according to the owner, which is God, which is Christ. And how we handle it. And so we're carriers of this gospel. Can I just tell you this? Your non-Christian friends do not know what you know. How about instead of going for coffee or lunch or hanging out and arguing and talking about politics and 
and policies and all these other issues? How about occasionally talking about God and His Word? You don't have to be creepy about it. You don't have to be weird about it. How about just saying some things? You know what? My hope and my trust isn't in that. My hope and my trust isn't in that person. My hope and my trust isn't in this government. My hope and my trust isn't in anything. You know where my hope and my trust is? It's in God and God alone. Man, some of us, we are so good at sharing sound bites from Fox and CNN and, and, and politicians. How about this? How about sharing some sound bites from God's Word? And there's such an interesting study that was just recently released. And they, they surveyed non-Christians, and they asked non-Christians a question. I honestly was shocked by the answer. They asked some non-Christians, a large group of non-Christians, this question. How do you view your Christian friends? How do you view them? Overwhelming. You know what the number one response was? It's so strange. I know they believe in God. Why haven't they ever told me how to become a Christian? Why haven't they ever shared Christ with me? I mean, if, if they really believe, if they really believe a relationship with Him leads to eternal life, why don't they, why don't they ever share script? Why, why don't they do any of that for me? See, this is what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, and you become very dear to us, and because of that, I'm sharing the gospel with you. Because I care for you, you don't know what I know. You don't have this gospel. First Thessalonians 2.6 says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. You know, there is, there is a glory that comes from people, if we're honest, right? But it comes with a very high cost. When you seek glory from others, they own you. They control you. Because you need their approval for your confidence. You need them to do, I'm telling you, there is a glory that comes from people, but it comes at a very high cost. If you're going to have confidence, and you're going to have confidence in the times that we live, you've got to know, you got to know God. You have a relationship with Him. You have to know God approves of you. And the last thing is this, you have to know God loves you. You have to come to the place where you know God loves you. How do you know? How do you know God, God's approved of you and God loves you? I've asked that question several times over the course of, of a month and had conversations with people and, on various subjects about Christianity and other things. And, and there's some people, you know what they'll tell you? Some people, if you ask them, well, how do you know God approves of you? How do you know you're a Christian? How do you know, how do you know God loves you? And they go, oh, I'll find that out on, when I die. And when I die, if God lets me into heaven, then I guess I'll know He really loved me. I guess I'll know He approved of me. Seriously? You gotta wait till you die? What kind of confidence is that? I mean, Paul says it is possible to understand the gospel and live this life with confidence and know. Know that he loves you and know that he approves of you. And I'm telling you, this is when transformation happens in the lives of believers, when they know God loves me and he approves of me. There's a time that happened in Moses' life and, and God passed before him. It's Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and through 8. And, and so God passes in front of Moses. 
Theologians tell us this is the only place in Scripture, this is the only concise place in Scripture where God describes himself from beginning to end. There's bits and pieces of this that is quoted all through Scripture, but this is the origin of this. This is the place where God describes himself to Moses. 6 through 8, watch this. He said, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's that Hebrew word, hased, that we've looked at. It's so important. And gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity. Iniquity, I can actually say that word. Need to slow down. Of the fathers on the children, the children's children into the third and fourth generation. Don't let that freak you out. We'll understand what that means. You're not paying for the sins of your grandfather, your great-great-grandfather. And Moses bowed his head towards earth and worship. Two times he used the word uh, steadfast. Steadfast love. It comes from the Greek, the Hebrew word, I'm sorry, hased. You know what that word means? Irrevocable. Steadfast love means irrevocable, that his love for you is irrevocable. That's hard for us as humans, right? That's hard for us as humans because on a human level, we've never known irrevocable love. As in fact is, humans, the love between humans is not irrevocable. Humans revoke a lot of things, right? Humans revoke people. Humans revoke situations, circumstances. I mean, there's a lot of us. fact is, I think all of us, all of us are looking for irrevocable love. I mean, all of us are looking for irrevocable love. fact is, we want irrevocable love, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in families, whether it's in friendships. We want someone to show a steadfast, faithful, irrevocable love. But, but humans, humans are always revoking something. Humans are always pulling something back emotionally. But God's love, God's love is hased. God's love is steadfast. God's love is irrevocable. I grabbed a, a Hebrew lexicon, and I just looked up the word uh, hased. Here's some words that just describe that definition. Irrevocable, beyond recall, binding, final, firm, fixed, immutable, impossible to change, lasting, permanent, settled, unalterable, unavoidable, unchangeable, without appeal. Certain, conclusive, decisive, de definitive, ironclad, necessary, positive, stable. Do you realize that's God's love towards you? And you may push back and you say, well, wait a minute, I have sinned. His love for you is irrevocable. He loves you. Human love is often revoked. It is conditional. It is, I will love you unless. I will love you if. I will love you until. Not God's love. God's love. Hased. Faithfulness. Steadfast. Irrevocable. Verse 6, again, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Listen, let me tell you something. God's love is not based upon your actions. God's love is based upon his character. And God's describing himself to Moses and God is describing himself to us and saying, my love for you 
is irrevocable. It's interesting to look at Moses' life and see how his life changed dramatically once he got this. I mean, there's something about this. There's something about where you and I, we, we place our hope, we place our trust. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, he says, we have this sure and steadfast anchor. There's that word again. It's the Greek word. It's the counterpart Greek word to the, the Hebrew word hased. Here's that word again, irrevocable anchor. That we have this irrevocable anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the, the, the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, when we're in Christ, when we know Him, we have an anchor to the soul. If you know anything about boating, you know when you're in a storm, your anchor better hold or you're going to lose the ship. You're going to lose the boat. Right? We have spiritually an anchor to the soul that will hold because it's tied to the cross. And it's irrevocable. And you say, but wait a minute. I've sinned. God loves you. His love for you is irrevocable. I've been divorced. God loves you. He loves you. I've been unfaithful. He loves you. I've gossiped. I've, slan I've slandered. I've lied. He loves you. He loves you with an irrevocable love. Yes, it's true God's love can be taken advantage of, right? Romans chapter 6 is written about that to where some group of people says, well, shouldn't we just take advantage of God's love? Just let sin increase and so grace abounds? And Paul says, no. Listen, true love always risks being taken advantage of. If it does not risk being taken advantage of, it is not true love. See, there's a lot of people, humans right now, you know how humans normally, you know how our society defines love? Humans define love like this. You've got to accept everything about me. If you don't accept everything about me, if you don't accept my attitudes, if you don't accept my actions, then it is not love. Don't you see how that's conditional love? Don't you see how that's love with strings attached? God's love for us is irrevocable love. God's love is steadfast love offers us forgiveness and brings us into worship. Human love means, and humans believe, that love is you have to accept my actions no matter what they are, my attitudes no matter what they are, and if you don't accept everything about me, it is not love. God's love is irrevocable, yet it does not negate His holiness and justice. If your definition of love is that you're, fully accept, that you're fully accepting of every attitude and action of another person, can I ask you a question? Are you married? Because if you're married, you know. Not every attitude and not every action is accepted, but you still love them. So you don't say to a spouse, if you love me, do you love me? And they say, yes, good. Then you have to accept every attitude 
in every one of my actions unless you don't love, or you don't love me. God's love for us is irrevocable. God said this. When he said the sins of the father go to the third and the fourth generation. He wasn't saying you're paying for the sins of a grandfather, a great-grandfather, a great-great-grandfather. You're not under a curse. There's some that will teach you you're under a curse. You're not under a curse. That curse was broken on the cross. But here's what that is saying. That there can be an influence in family that goes down from generation to generation. You, you, you can look at families, right? Whether it's alcoholism, whether it's immorality, uh, whether it's lying, whether it's God. What, you, you, can see the, you can see the influence. But here's the crazy thing. So, so the sins of the father go down to the third and the fourth generation. In other words, sooner or later, someone gets back on track. But my love goes down to a thousand generations. There's even grace in that. God's love for you is irrevocable. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me just ask you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? I'm telling you there's, this is an important message for every one of us not only to hear, but to understand and to believe. So let me ask you, do you know Him? I'm not asking if you have, know a lot of facts about Him and you know some Scripture and you know about Him. I'm asking you simply this. Do you know Him? I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship. Do you know Him? Have you come to the place to where you've asked Him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and give you the gift of eternal life? And as a result of that, that, that your life has begun to be transformed, to, to be changed. So do you know Him? This morning, if you do not know Him, this would be a great time for you to sit before Him and just accept Him. His love for you is not based upon your actions, but His character, regardless of what you've done. He'll accept you. Apostle Paul, who wrote this, had, had murdered. And Jesus Christ offered him salvation. And He offers you salvation today. Do you know Him? And do you have a relationship with Him? Maybe you'd say yes. As you sit before Him, do you know that He loves you and He approves of you? That's what changes. When you understand the gospel, that He came, He bled, He died on a, on a cross, He was placed in a tomb. On the third day, He resurrected just as he said he would do he appeared to many and now he offers us salvation if we'll just believe him I'm telling you if you're going to have confidence in the times in which we walk you have to know you have to know him know he approves of you and know he loves you and then walk in a manner worthy because we've been entrusted with this gospel. Maybe you hear this morning and you say, you know, I, I just I have a prayer request. I'm carrying a burden. I have a need. Well, I believe God's 
already made that apparent to you, that burden that you're carrying. We want to lift it. We want to pray for you. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, whether it's a medical issue, a financial issue, a relational issue, it's a health issue, whether you want to pray for someone else, whether you're trying to discern God's Word, whether you want to have a conversation with someone, whatever it is, we want to pray for you. We want to, we want to meet that need. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, in just a few moments after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, and as we stand together, would you just step out and begin making your way down to the front? There'll be people walking with you. There'll be prayer partners down here. But it's such an easy process. And we'd love to minister to you. It's what we're commanded in Scripture. So if you need prayer in any area, after I pray, we stand, you come. Father, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for your steadfast love. Father, we thank you that you care for us deeply. And so, Father, now as we bring our, our prayers to you, your word not only teaches that you hear them, but you respond. And so, Father, we, we desire to minister to each other because we're in this community. We have this relationship with one another. And we have become very, very dear to each other and so may we may we love one another may we pray for one another may we encourage one another may we support one another may we comfort one another and Father we look forward to see what only you can do for we ask these things in Jesus name Amen